Kyle Curtin from Durango, Colorado. And I'm running grand to grand this year. And here we are in your van in Flagstaff, Arizona. That's right. <laughs> yeah, dude. So um, yeah, I'm glad we could find some time to like sit down and talk about this because uh, you have a pretty lengthy resume, I would say. You've done a lot of hard stuff over the years and now here you are signed up for grand to grand 24. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a cool route. Um, I've been to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, but only from the south side. So I've never driven on that side and haven't really seen what that looks like. Um, and then it finishes pretty close to Grand Staircase, which is um, another place I've done. A, it was a long bike ride, longest bike ride of my life, a mountain bike ride. It took like 21 hours to do a big loop in Grand Staircase. Um, but I haven't explored it all in between, so this should uh, be a really good introduction to that. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's so much out there. Like it's cool starting on the on the rim of the canyon, which you know very well, obviously, and climbing up on the plateau, then descending, just seeing all the different layers of, of just geology, I guess, and different environments along the way. It's pretty fun. And wild plants and stuff that really don't exist a lot of other places. It's pretty inhospitable for uh, <laughs> humans to stay a long time, you know? Nobody lives out there. Dude, yeah, like that's like kind of the interesting things. You look at like I don't know, just how many people come in and like think that they're going to like become millionaires by moving out there to either ranch or mine. But after a year or two, it's kind of like, nah, this is too intense. <laughs> so it's, we're pretty fortunate, I think, to be able to live in a time where we can run through these areas and like experience the beauty and not worry about dying from some random disease or heat exhaustion or something. Just a little bit worrying about dying. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how hot it is in September. And you've done pretty gnarly, or pretty gnarly stuff though. So I don't think like you're a stranger to the heat and or elevation, right? No. Yeah. I definitely enjoy those aspects to thinking back to one year I ran Western States. It was 102 in Auburn and something like 110 in the canyons. So hopefully not that bad <laughs> definitely won't be that bad like it is interesting though how how the warmth changes at elevation like obviously you know living at moderate elevation in durango but like up at like bryce it's eight thousand feet and 80 degrees and it just feels like you're getting cooked yeah it's it's almost more helpful to think about it but like total exposure of just between the wind sun and heat just all that stuff kind of adds together and just sucks from you yeah like the dryness of a high desert mixed with sun and then just it's just dry it's mm -hmm. just good. Like everything gets sucked out of you really fast. And you just have to drink so much more water than things on the East Coast or when it's cooler out. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I guess generally at Grand to Grand too, there's not a lot of cloud cover. Like sometimes there's some clouds, but not, not Banking really. on zero, yeah. Yeah, I think this year was totally clear the entire time. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I guess what else have you done? I know like this year you ran Tour de Jeans. Uh You did 100 around Silverton, Colorado. Uh, you had some kind of made up fun run in, in Durango, which actually sounds awesome. But like, what else have you done over the years that's longer and intense? Um, I hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2015, um, did that over four months. Uh, I've done the Colorado Trail, both solo backpacking it and kind of fast. I, I did it in like 12 days and then uh, did it as a relay with four other friends. So the five of us did it in just over three days, kind of like doing it just 480 miles like with a baton essentially and, and trying to run it as fast as possible and we we did it in like three and a half days which beat the bike record at the time but now uh now a biker's gone faster than that so. <laughs> how'd you even come up with that idea because it sounds super fun it sounds like the speed project but then also like a ragnar but then also more fun because it's trail running the owner of durango running company is also a cross-country coach and kind of wanted that idea of like getting a team together to put together the best effort they could in the hopes to inspire other people to do that kind of stuff, um, make running a team sport and, and have some fun with it too. Yeah, and I guess like 
that's kind of the fun part about grand to grand even though it's not necessarily like a team race by any means you do spend the week with the same people and it, it's fun just to get to know people over over the over the week and then get to know them and, and spend all the time with them at camp and also the shared experience too of like when you suffer through something with with somebody else you have that connection immediately and, and that understanding of where you're coming from and and how you deal with difficult situations too yeah it is interesting to see people kind of I don't know, not devolve, but you can really see their true personality after a few days being out there because they're out of their comfort zone, eating probably not ideal food, not sleeping in a real bed. And you really see who somebody is after a few days of being in the elements. And kind of how their choices come together too, because you have to make all those choices before you leave on how much food you're going to bring and, and what kind of sleeping situation you're going to have. And all these things are going to add to into whether you're going to rest well and eat well and and then you got to carry that weight. So how much your pack weighs, and it's it's an interesting equation that I'm looking forward to trying to figure out. Yeah, I guess having done the AT, then you you have some or a lot of experience, I should say, in that. And I think a lot of people that have done this race are more of runners and not necessarily through hikers. So like, have you thought much about your pack and what you're going to do for that? I don't know about the pack yet. Um, I have some options. I have way too much gear at home, so definitely got to sift through that and kind of see what works. But I think one important thing in like fast packing or, or anything like this is to get systems that work together. So you're not just not bringing one-off items that you're not going to use or, or don't work well with everything else you have. Um, so I just think of that as like, are you going to sleep in all the clothes? Like, don't bring extra clothes. Make sure you're able to wear everything you have at one time so there's nothing else extra. So your coldest situation, you want to put on your pants puffy and, and rain jacket and, and make sure you can wear all those things together to get max warmth out of it. Um, and just thinking about stuff like that and, and even food. Um, I know mentioned just before we turned on the mic, like, if you ate 5,000 calories a day of just pure sugar on Grand to Grand, this is kind of just a mental experiment it would be almost 20 pounds of food you got to bring with you. So kind of making decisions in there is, is pretty important on, on do you bring savory stuff or, or what are you going to want on day six, you know? <laughs> yeah. I always like to say that like the hunger sauce is the best sauce to make food taste good. But at the same time though, if it's like, it's good. If, if you're not going to eat it, then you're not going to eat it. It's just kind of extra weight you're carrying with you. And if it's totally revolting to you, it doesn't matter how many calories are in that a piece of food. If you're not eating it, it doesn't really matter. I imagine we'll get hungry enough. You'll eat everything. Um, in the through hiker world, they always say, eat your heaviest food first, which kind of makes sense. So you kind of eat a little more luxurious the first couple of days. And then by the end of it is when you have your, your ramen and, and your whatever else that's super lightweight and, and not that good. What is it like the towny food? Is that what they call it? Where you pass through a town, maybe grab a pizza and hike that on the trail with you? Yeah, I would do like the first day, um, like on the Appalachian Trail, first day coming out of a town. I'd even take like fruits and jellies and that kind of stuff, and even chunks of cheese and that kind of stuff that goes bad, but is good for a day or two. And so you can eat that for a couple of days. And then when you run out of food, that's when you're. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be day six out at Grand to Grand. <laughs> so, what did you eat on the AT when you were out there? Like in general, I know it's a months and months of eating but what did you do yeah um it kind of went through phases of different things um i did like bringing just a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jelly and doing a lot of that um for lunch and then it seemed like most dinners we'd do some kind of dehydrated meal of either rice or noodles and mix it in with with some kind of protein either fish or chicken or something along those lines um always dehydrated you know you don't want to carry water weight when you don't have to um did a lot of like cold, uh, cold soaking oatmeals with like oatmeal, nuts, 
dried fruits and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I'm sure for grand to grand, I'll do, you know, tailwind and anything you can drink with calories in it too, to, to try to get that, um, just getting calories all day, I think is important. Yeah. It's such an interesting balance. And we talked about this before we started recording, but just like the balance of calories and like weight loss and also carrying that stuff with you. And mm -hmm. it's like, you, you, I guess ideally you'd be like, oh, I want to have as many calories as possible. But then it's also like, well, you got to carry that the entire time. Totally. And then it's like, are, are you going to eat that? And if you don't eat it, you're just carrying dead weight essentially. Yeah. I, at least my mentality during through hikes was you think about like, if we're going out for four days, I'll bring X number of calories a day. So like bring 4,000 calories a day. That's so I just need 16,000 calories for four days to do that. And I just eat as much as I can day one. It doesn't matter if I go over 4,000 or not. I'm trying to think like big picture on that's how many calories you'll need for that whole thing. And uh, hopefully you're less hungry after you eat a lot. So <laughs> it doesn't matter in the long run. And then you carry a little less weight going on. I don't know. Yeah, it's a balance though. <laughs> and it's an experiment. Everybody's got to figure out for themselves too. There's no right answer. Yeah, that is very true. And <clears throat> it's interesting to see like what people bring and then what they don't bring because everyone's is different. Yeah, that equation works in like socks too. I mean, you can bring two pairs of socks or three or I don't know. I think two is the right answer, but um, I, th I think going to through hikers a lot is, uh, is a good example of what works well. Um, you just have a ton of experience doing it and, and uh, a lot of trials, you know? Yeah. I kind of feel like through hikers are able to suffer more than probably most runners in a lot of ways. Cause you're in there day in and day out. And it's not just running with aid stations that are giving you food and whatever the entire time. Like when you're out there on a long trail by yourself, you gotta one plan and then figure things out if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. But then two, it's like, well, I don't know. You got to suffer a lot to get to move to the next spot. Like you can't just kind of bail yeah. out of an aid station for the most part uh through hikes aren't timed though you can always just sit down and that's a good point <laughs> just when it really sucks and you just sit on a rock so <laughs> contemplate your bad decisions yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah oh man yeah, i don't know it's it's interesting and i think the balance too comes with like whatever gear you pack like so obviously nutrition is very important but at the same time it's like if you pack too light of say a sleeping bag and you're cold all night, you're going to shiver and burn a lot of calories. Then you're tired the next day and you're consistently just kind of like falling apart. Mm -hmm. But if you have a warmer sleeping bag and maybe you don't fall apart as fast and you can last that entire week or uh, maybe just, just slow the decline a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out for sure. And that's where it's all going to work together too. I, I usually sleep in all my stuff, you know, in my puffy in my pants and, and all that stuff to try to stay as warm as possible and whatever sleeping bag I bring. Yeah, I, I think it's the right way to do it, personally. You know, we'll find out, yeah. Smell like a bunch of roses at the end of the week like everybody else, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't transfer well on video, you know? Definitely not. I can't wait till in the future where we have, like, smell-o-vision or something, and we can just show and, I don't know, let people smell what Grand to Grand is really like, because it's, it's pretty See what awful. the one sun shirt I'm wearing, see what that smells like by the end. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be pretty wonderful. Yeah, Sarah and I were also talking about like even sunscreen, you know, sunscreen kind of weighs a lot. And like mm -hmm. if you can wear a sun shirt and wear less sunscreen, carry less sunscreen, maybe a better option. Well, yeah, and it's sticky know. as well. So if we're not in the desert. It's just like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm just kind of repeating things you already know, but like it, it's absorbed or sucks sand onto you, which can mm -hmm. over the course of a week cause abrasion issues. And when you're carrying a pack full of stuff, like it's the last mm -hmm. thing you want. Totally. Have you seen the umbrellas they make? 
for uh yeah i've seen a lot of those in the canyon actually yeah yeah i've got one i've never used it just has never uh, seemed like a good idea but i just can't imagine running with an umbrella like over my head the entire time but oh they got little bungees and stuff you can fix it to your pack okay so you don't have to hold it you can man be the dorkiest runner out there with trekking poles and an umbrella <laughs> that's the look of 2024 you wear a bucket hat as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, um, another thing, too, we were talking about is this foot care. Um, I guess thinking of, like, the sand and abrasion and all these things, like, you were mentioning in the videos is how many gnarly feet that you saw from the few promo videos we've put out over the years. Like, do you have foot issues generally, or do you have, like, things that you do to mitigate those problems? Not, I, I, I don't, generally don't have foot issues um, in... Like Tour de Jean's this year, I changed socks seven times though. Um, really try to like get on the front end of that. I think once you get a blister, you know, most of the damage is done. You can't really do it. You can do your foot care or whatever, but it's way better to avoid the blister in the first place. So I think just changing socks frequently and when you're in camp, I think just not wearing shoes, not wearing socks, spending that time letting your feet dry out and hopefully you repair themselves a little bit. I think all that's kind of critical too. So you're not racing during that time, but you're still kind of preparing for the next day. Yeah. It's kind of like what they say where, was it like eating is training or something where like, yeah, you're not actually training or running, but what you're eating affects your training to a huge extent. So if you're taking care of your feet, that's going to affect you the next day and the next day and the next day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's there's a girl this year um, from Canab that ran, and she did well, but she had foot issues after a couple of days. Ended up running in her sandals for the rest of the race, and she brought extra sandals. Yeah, I think she had Luna's for her camp sandals. Okay. And then she ended up running in them, and and she does a lot of hiking in them, so it wasn't like okay. it was a brand new experience. But yeah. Just the shoes weren't working for her, so she went all in on sandals and mm. made it work. <laughs> Something you should definitely figure out for a 170 mile race. <laughs> yeah, let's uh. Let's talk about tour then for a second. Like if you did, you change your socks, you say seven times, seven times. Yeah. Yeah. And you had no foot issues. Um, really kind of dime sized blisters on my pinky toes, but that was it after 80 hours, just under 80 hours of, of running through the Alps. Yeah. I bet a lot of people are jealous of that. It's uh yeah, of the foot issues for sure. There's like a whole culture about foot issues in tour. Um, my favorite one is calling them Christmas toes. Uh, the race is in, in early September, and then by Christmas, you should be able to feel your toes again. Just the numbness goes away, which I didn't have anything that bad, but it, it was like a week, week and a half or so of just degraded feeling in my feet. Um, just spending that much time walking around and, and kind of going in a hole, you know, you definitely don't sleep well or sleep enough, and it's a, it's a tough one to recover from. Um, this is my second time doing it, so I, I did know kind of what I was in store for this year and did... Uh, I think just mentally was more prepared on, on how to run that race. Yeah, but the mental aspect is, is huge. Yeah, just knowing that like every climb is super steep and every descent is going to be loose and have big cliffs on it and just not being overwhelmed when you see like how far you got to go or, or not be shocked that like it's, it's always further, always farther than you think and even further than they say, you know, they say it'll be a 5k distance and it's always more like four miles, so. <laughs> which is frustrating, like in the moment. But that's the whole part of just being mentally prepared for that and not having expectations kind of ruin your day. Just kind of trying to enjoy it as much as you can and and never stop eating. Yeah, I feel like that's the strategy: is just eat as much as you can and then 
Yeah, rolled it. Totally, yeah. I was doing, I mean, it's a long race, three and a half days, and I was still trying to do 400 calories an hour, and I, I did that for the first at least two and a half days or so, and then kind of slowed down a little bit, but it's it was a ton of food, yeah. I can imagine. Um, did you change your shoes at all during the race, or did you just change your socks? I used three pairs of shoes total. Yeah. What, what shoes did you wear? I started with Lone Peaks, and I wore those for the first 60 miles or so, and then switched to olympus and ran in those for the next almost 100 miles or so and then finished off with my third pair of lone peaks nice and, oh go ahead uh, i was just gonna say it seems like from i don't know i don't do this personally but it seems like a lot of people will size up a little bit for longer events and for through hiking and i have mixed opinions about that but did you size up at all on it or did you just kind of roll with what you normally like your normal size i used my normal sizing um i do like my shoes just in general to be a little bigger um i wear like size 10 and a half in, in all my ultra running shoes and then when i get bike shoes or skis or, or anything like that i'm more like a nine and a half so i, I think it's i do size up but just all the time not just for that race yeah <laughs> that's funny shoe preference is so interesting because like i i love wearing ultras sometimes and i also really love solomon's and i know they're drastically different shoes yeah but i like them both and they've i've never had foot problems before so maybe i'm just an anomaly but i, I feel bad for people that have to figure that out it's also just like a lifetime of kind of running getting your feet used to that kind of thing building up calluses and and kind of an understanding of what socks and shoes and how to tie your shoes and i mean all that kind of stuff plays into it and, and making sure you don't get hot spots and and getting gear that works for you yeah let's talk a little bit about the gear situation because like i know you've done like longer stuff whatever but mm -hmm. like stage racing is a little bit different mm -hmm. and so like i guess what's the importance of testing gear ahead of time versus just kind of showing up with whatever influencer says on instagram or youtube or something uh, so listen to this influencer for me a lot of it is trying to be able to do everything while i'm moving so always being able to eat and drink while i move i don't have to stop and take off my pack kind of like getting gear that works for that um but yeah i mean obviously you got to test your gear and uh so training for these races is a ton of fun i it's that's what i like maybe more than the race in general it's just kind of like making a list of like different fast packs I want to do and, and just going to go test out the gear and go see some cool places. Cause with this kind of gear, you know, you don't need when you're packed for grand to grand, you know, you don't need anything else. Um, I mean, maybe add a tent to it and then you can, you can go anywhere for, so things like the Colorado trail or Nolan's or um, some other routes like that, that, that take a couple days or, are really interesting for this summer of like, oh, I can just call it training and, and go do these cool things I want to do. That's a really good way to look at it. It's like, and have fun in the training process and enjoy the process for mm -hmm. the race. And like, what's the, the kind of cliche saying where it's like, like the journey or the destination is more important than the, you know, the journey is more valuable than the destination or I don't know. What it is. And the other one I've heard is uh, the man who enjoys the journey will always beat the man who enjoys the destination or something along those lines that, it's more articulate than what i said i just kind of mumbled through that <laughs> <laughs> no i do enjoy that too though because like yeah it is like you go out and do something fun like say you go do nolan's or even just go like bag of 14 or something but you're testing gear while having a good time and it's not like i'm just going out to test things you're like well i'm getting training in i'm having a good time in the mountains or desert with my friends and you kind of figure things out along the way like okay like this little pocket doesn't work or i should put 
this thing here, this thing here, or whatever. Oh, totally. Yeah, by the time <laughs> I, I was running tour this year. Um, oh, sorry, my dog is uh, going crazy here. Um, yeah, by the time I ran tour this year, I had it really dialed in to a point where I was like pretty self-conscious about like taking pictures on social media. I was like, oh, I'm always wearing the same shirt in the same pack. Like, I swear I do laundry. I swear I have other clothes, but I just would wear the same thing every time I went out um, to make sure I, I knew what was in each pocket. You know, I knew where my chapstick was and where my sunblock was and, and um, how many batteries I needed to take out at night for each section. And yeah, just having that dialed in, I think is really important. Um, because you you aren't at 100% when you're running the race. You're at some degraded state where you're not going to be thinking as clearly as you are when you're sitting at your kitchen table. So you got to like you got to know that oh this is where I keep my food or, or and have a good spot for everything too, you know. Yeah, definitely. And like I had an experience earlier this year where I ran a trail marathon and it started early and um we had camped like 30 minutes away from the start so not too much and when i got it i showed up there i was like oh crap i forgot my belt and i don't ever run into packs so i was like i don't know what i'm going to do because there was like like one aid station on the route and it was just water and i was like i need some sort of gels or something mm -hmm. and so my buddy like he lent me his ultra spire belt which is fine like whatever i don't think against it but i'd never used it before and in the entire race i'm like oh where's the gel where's this where's my toilet paper where's these things i just couldn't find it and so I guess all I'm saying is like, it's important to know where those things are because I wasted a ton of time and mental energy just looking for stuff. Totally. It, and it's just, it just sucks, honestly. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you've had the experience too of like, you put something in your pack, but you can't find it at the time until you, until you get home and you start unpacking and then you're like, oh man, there's that yeah. caffeine pill I was looking for or whatever. Yeah. Or like the one thing that could have saved your race potentially, like that extra salt tab or, yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, it happens to me too. I, I just ran a, a road marathon the other week. I forgot to bring a water bottle or gels or anything to the start of the race. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. I guess it just kind of reiterates your point though. That like, it's important to run through your gear, whether it's for a 10 K a marathon or a stage race, like it all matters. Yeah. And that's all part of the training too. It's like, you can't, you can't go into it and just grind up some, some uh, dehydrated meals and, and hope it works out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's probably not the tastiest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you thought much about your training then? I know we're, we're in uh, what, November now, so you're still a little ways out, but like, you have some races and like FKT years planned out or just routes in general to test gear or are you just gonna kind of wait um I got yeah I got a list of things I'd like to do the list is definitely longer than anything I'm capable of doing in, in one season so it's more about picking what and when um and still waiting on lotteries for the other hundreds waiting on hard rock and western states see what happens for those guys before uh solidifying plans for the summer but um yeah I would definitely like to get out I long mountain slogs that's kind of uh that's kind of what I'm going to be training for mostly is just uh, big days hiking around. Hopefully that translates to, to good desert hiking too. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. It seems like that's like a lot of what you do is a lot of gnarly stuff out in the San Juans where you live and at least in the summer, like I know they get. Yeah, we get a lot of snow. So I, I ski a lot in the wintertime and try to do the same mountains in the wintertime, but it's definitely different. It's not the same as running. You don't get like, you know, the impact to your feet and joints and that kind of stuff that I mean, that's part of the training too. It, it does beat you up and you get used to it though. And, and I think that's important for these really long endeavors. Yeah, I would say so too. I, I'm a big believer in specificity in training. Like I love cross training and I think it's very beneficial, but at the same time, it's like, you're not going to go win 
it's like grand to grand by biking and lifting weights every day or skiing all winter and then right. doing some weight yeah. training or something. Yeah, totally. I think just mentally for me, it's nice to have some kind of like off season where we, before we started the podcast, we were talking more about bikes than running. Yeah. And uh, I, I do a lot of biking and skiing when races aren't coming up, but I think you're totally right. You got to be 100% focused on, on that specific kind of training as the race gets closer. And, and like you said, specific, specific, I can't, that and what's, what's the other one I tried earlier? Uh, I, I can't speak out the time either, so. Um, but yeah, you're totally right in trying to like uh, imitate the the terrain you're going to be doing and wherever you are, you know, finding something that's close to that, which luckily I do live, you know, at, at six, 7,000 feet. So at least the altitude of the race will, will be uh, pretty comparable. Yeah. And I guess thinking where you are too, it seems pretty ideal where you have a lot of flat desert just kind of down the road, but then you also have big mountains up the mm-hmm. road from you. And so you have a, you have that variety there. You're not kind of just stuck in a city somewhere where you have to run parking garages or just pavement every day. Like you could go run in the sand if you want to, or you can go up in the, if I want to, if you want to, <laughs> I guess you signed up for a, a week in the sand. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. I just grind sand in my feet every night and get ready. <laughs> just build some calluses with sandpaper <laughs> yeah. and call it good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, nice, man. Um, I say we wrap it up here. I know your dog's getting a little, uh, little antsy. Probably wants to get out. He sees, yeah, sees what's going on in the park. Yeah, so. there's a lot going on out here. <laughs> so yeah, we'll wrap it up here. And um, I guess it's real quick though. Um, what's your like social media and stuff like that? Um, on Instagram, I'm the king of the carbs. Um, after uh, spending some time in Italy after Tour de Jean's, it's like this is my personality now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so posting pictures of fun runs and and uh, other stuff from training on there. And yeah, follow me on there. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. It was fun.